Have you ever been told at some point in your life that you are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, or any reason really? This podcast is meant to teach, motivate, and inspire you to never lose sight of what your true passion is and to always believe you are far more capable than you think. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Florence. Each week, we'll bring you a special guest that will truly motivate, inspire, and encourage you to never lose sight of who you are, what it is you're meant to do, and to offer valuable advice on what steps you can take to help you believe in yourself, achieve your dreams, and ultimately lead you to discover your purpose, passion, and drive. Pay attention to how you feel. Because if you're chasing lowercase g gods, it will feel that way. It'll feel like you're reaching. It'll feel like it's it's just, it, I'm almost there. Right. Like I'm almost to the big leagues. I'm almost to the revenue, the income that I want. My business has almost made it. That's how it always feels. The Christian does not feel that way. The Christian has that piece already. I've already made it. Welcome back to the Why Not Me podcast. Today, we have a special guest uh, from the way of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Bob Wheatley. Uh, Bob is uh, a mutual friend of mine through um, Todd Durkin. I heard Bob on uh, Todd's recent podcast and was really touched by his message and his story and wanted to share uh, his message to the, our audience and our listeners and hopefully inspire that person who may be struggling today with uh, you know, some self-doubt, need a little bit of motivation, inspiration, and Bob's message will no doubt deliver that to you. I want to welcome Bob to the show. Welcome, Bob. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. So, Bob, I want to give you your, your, your due and introduce you properly. So let's just, I'm going to jump right into your bio so the audience is getting ready for this show that I know is going to knock their socks off. Bob is an author, podcaster, and former professional athlete. He serves as a co-host of that single show, a singles ministry sponsored by KCBI Christian Radio in Dallas. Through his work with that single show, Bob has worked with best-selling authors, keynote speakers, and world-class musicians, including people like Rory Vaden, Rachel Cruz, Jason Gray, and Christian Huff. His work has also been featured on nationally syndicated radio stations like WAY-FM and The Fish. As an author and content creator, Bob has a passion for helping young Christians grow closer to God and experience the love and connection they are missing. After graduating from the University of Southern California, Bob played four years of professional baseball in the Toronto Blue Jays and St. Louis Cardinals minor league systems. In his spare time, Bob blogs to read, write, hike, and watch sports. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and a recent best-selling author of Our Heart's Desire. Welcome to the show, Bob. That's right, Music City. I have no uh, musical talent, <laughs> but I do live in Music City. <laughs> Bob, one of the reasons why I really started this podcast and people always, I'm sure they've been, you've been asked this question of why you do what you do. And one of the reasons why uh, I started this podcast and when I wrote my book, Why Not Me, was to hopefully inspire someone out there struggling in life and their business. And so I like to bring on guests who necessarily don't have an easy path and who've had to overcome different levels of adversity. I know the Bob Wheatley story, as I said earlier, through our mutual, mutual friend, Todd Durkin, but I was hoping you could share with our listeners personally, you know, we all have that story and, and what's, what's your story? So let's start with who's Bob Wheatley. I'll let you take the floor. Yeah, awesome. So I obviously live in Nashville, Tennessee today, but I grew up in Orange County, California. That's how I ended up meeting Todd. So I trained with Todd, who's a, he's literally a world-class uh, fitness trainer. 
He works with a lot of professional athletes, people that are far, far better than I am at all things, football, baseball, and things like that. Fortunately, though, I was able to work with him in college. We trained together for a couple of years. I was in Orange County, uh, grew up in Orange County, went to school in Los Angeles at USC, and then uh, Todd obviously lives in San Diego. So he and I got connected there, and we've kind of just stayed in touch over, I mean, really, it's been 10, 12 years at this point. But I played baseball in college, played for four years. I was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays, played for them in what would have been 2014 and 15, played for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2016, and then I played independent professional baseball in 2017. And then after that, really, I had a I had a, a number of really big failures, really painful moments in my life, really shattered dreams in that summer of 17. It was baseball. The big league dream had ended. I was actually a business major at USC. So I had started a protein bar business while I played in the minor leagues, mm -hmm. just kind of running it from the back of the bus with my laptop type thing, like third party fulfillment and working Amazon FBA and, and all that stuff. So that business went under. And then the gal that I had hoped to marry, we had been together on and off for a couple of years that relationship ended in a pretty ugly way. So in that summer of 17, as I was sitting before those things happened, I had, it was like the grand plan. It was this, this is how my life is going to unfold. You got baseball, business, girl, everything is great. And then it was immediately in quick success, uh, quick succession taken away. Right. And I would have told you that I was a Christian before then, I'd grown up in the church. I went to Christian middle schools and high schools, and I was baptized at 12. So I was kind of around that world for a long time. Literally, our, our high school uniforms, it didn't have our name on the jersey. It just had a cross. So it was like, oh, this, you know, if he has a cross on the back of his jersey, clearly he's, he, he must be a devout believer. Right. And looking back on it now, I can honestly say I don't think I was a Christian when I was baptized at 12, when I was wearing those uniforms with crosses, when I was 16, 18, when I was playing in the minor leagues, I really don't think I was a Christian because if Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The fruit of my life was what was proof that I didn't love him. And there are some areas that I obeyed, but it was only the convenient areas. Right. I mean, that, that statement, it's a, it's an if then statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's not to say that every Christian does that perfectly. In fact, zero Christians, none do it perfectly. Only Jesus did. Right. But the, the Christian who says, yes, I, I am on board with this. I am no longer the master of my own life. I have a new master. That is God. That is Jesus. I want to obey. So it's kind of like this wrestling of, okay, this is what I want to do. I, I want to follow him, but we just don't have the tools to do it completely. And so you asked about my story, my, my outward reputation. Uh, I, I work in the world of personal branding. So we call it, what is a personal brand? It's just a digital reputation. So if you were to stumble across my social media and things like that, hopefully it would be unmistakable. Oh, this guy's a Christian. And that really started about five or six years ago before I moved to Nashville. And 
again, I would have told you I was a Christian for a long time, but it was in that surrender and saying, Lord, here's my yes. I will do whatever you want. I will live in whatever city. I will take whatever job. I am yours. And bringing it full circle, that was only because I had failed Hmm. so big and so, you know, so frequently, at least that summer that I finally came to that point of surrender. It was a, a huge moment in my life. And with you going through so many tests and, and challenges and struggles with all that being thrown at you at once, would you say, or could you identify with one moment, one person that may have helped and led you to shape who you are today from those, from those experiences? Yeah. I, the, the best way for me to answer that question is no, frankly, it's not one person, one moment. It's been a succession of moments. Mm-hmm. It's been a succession of people. I've ever since I gave my life over to God, I have been amazed at the mentors, at the interactions, the things that I just kind of stumble into even the job that I have now. Like I said, I work in personal branding. I, I work for a company called Brand Builders Group and we're a for-profit business. We'll do about 10 million in revenue. This year, we have 650 clients, podcasters, speakers, authors, some really, really awesome people. Right. But we are an we are we do not hide the fact that we are a Christian-led organization. Right. It's a very Dave Ramsey type of of reputation where hey, we're happy to make money. We love helping our clients make money. But uh, as our co-founder Rory Vaden says, we are Bible thumping Jesus freaks. So. Uh, it's something like that where, you know, I'm working for a company where it's not strange to pray before meetings or say, Hey, this is where I feel like God is leading us. Right. And that was something that I wanted for a long time. So the short answer to your question is no, there wasn't one moment or one person. I feel like they just keep coming. Right. It's been, it's been awesome. It's like endless. So what was the, what's the mindset if they're, if there wasn't that one person, if there was a multiple of individuals along your path during, especially during all that happened to you at once, what's, what's your mindset like? And for anyone listening to have to go with through one of those things is bad enough, but the juggle and handle three that are thrown at you in succession like that. Yeah. It's be a bit overwhelming and, and really an emotional gut check for you. Totally. Yeah. As far as the mindset, Again, and, and I totally understand that somebody might be listening to this that isn't a Christian. So I'm just kind of like providing some context and just saying like, hey, this is this is what we believe to be true. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever keeps his life will lose it. And so he is not saying, hey, you have to go be martyred. You have to be literally killed for my sake. He's not saying that. He's saying, if you surrender whoever loses his life, whoever gives up his hopes, his dreams, his life for my sake will find it. And so the mindset for me has been one of constant surrender. It's like a a million daily deaths where it's like, oh, this used to be really important to me. All right. Well, do I give it to God and choose God over the thing, which was baseball, business, girl, whatever it might've been. And I mean, this isn't, this isn't a loss. This isn't like a bad trade or a bad exchange. I mean, in giving up the small things, God gives us even more. 
namely it's just him we receive him instead of this like what you you would you rather have a promotion or god the creator of the universe right right but then also like he's he's a giver of of good gifts it's like once we surrender and say lord you know if you want to give me this promotion awesome i would i would love that but it's not the most important thing just don't don't take your presence from me it's in that penitent heart that humble, that meek, like, Lord, I, I just want you. Then you see a bunch of blessings come into your life. So it's, it's like, once you kill the lowercase G gods in your life, right. You can allow uh, the, the true God to, to really reign in your heart. And that takes so much pressure off so much pressure off. I remember when I was playing in the minor leagues, my my fourth season, I actually reported to spring training with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I got released in spring training. So that's why I ended up playing in independent professional baseball. Right. But at that time, I was coming off my best year. My third season, I had like a one and a half ERA as a pitcher. So I like I I did awesome in my third season. And then I reported to spring training and I was training like a madman. I was 230 pounds. I was the biggest, strongest, fastest I had ever been. And I was losing it. Hmm. I was so stressed. I remember I had to take a physical every, every off season, I would go and live in Louisiana. Hmm. I lived just outside of new Orleans. Cause there's a really good pitching coach down there. So it was kind of like, right. it was like Rocky Balboa, like going to going to the, the mountains in Russia. Right. Like I'm, I'm not in my orange County beach town. Like I'm, I'm grinding purely for baseball and it, it worked. Like I got significantly better every year, but I remember I had to take a pre spring training physical. So I drive into new Orleans. It was at some hospital that I can't remember now. And they took my vitals and stuff. I had a resting heart rate of 82. Wow. And this is a 25 year old professional athlete in the, like I, that was my absolute prime. Right. Best shape of my life. Resting heart rate at, 80, at 82. Why? Because I was stressed out of my mind because mm. I was pressing. I saw this, this dream, probably a lowercase G God in my life. Oh, if I could just get to the big leagues, then things will be different. Then I'll have the money. Then I'll finally be able to look in the mirror and say, you are a man. You did it. And what did that look like? I was doing... I, I had two weight room workouts a day and one pitching workout a day. So I was at the gym like eight hours a day. I was eating 5,000 calories a day because I'm like a naturally pretty lean person. I'm like, I'm like 210 right now. Right. And so for me to get to 230, I was 232. I'm eating 5,000 calories a day, just like crushing food. So everything was stressful. The workouts were stressful. The eating was stressful. The am I going to get to the bigs was stressful. Right. That is not the kind of life that a Christian leads. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now he might call us to give some things up. There might be some, some dreams, maybe good things or even bad things like sin. Right. Right. You look at alcohol differently. You look at the movies, the music you consume. So, but Jesus says, life with me is, is easy my burden is light. And so I just didn't experience that. Um, But coming back to your question on the mindset is truly one of surrender. And it's become one of willing surrender. It's like, okay, Lord, I know you're good. 
I know that your your plans for me are are where they should be. Of course, I'm going to give this up to you because I trust you. Right. So it takes so much pressure off. I the the phrase that I say is I'm no longer the quarterback of my life. I think a lot of times people are going around thinking that they have to they have to call all the shots, they have to run the right plays and stuff like that. And it's like fingers crossed. I hope it works. It's like no, right. you are you are not the main character of your story. You're certainly not the author of your story. It's and God I, has you. It's gonna be all right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like just through I didn't play professional baseball or any professional sport for that matter. I was an athlete in high school. Played our my college did not have a track team, so I ran clubs and things of that nature. But just being around individuals, so many different individuals who didn't walk my walk, and mm-hmm. I've said this before on on a few other my of my podcasts that. I almost feel like I had to hide that that passion for Christ and my Christian faith, and mm-hmm. and now I don't feel that way. And I, and I I was chasing those little small G's, you know, gods of hey, I want to run track in college. I want to do all these other little things. I want to chase money with this job and that job, and and you feel that feeling of emptiness. And so once I realized and got back to my faith that that feeling started to dissipate. So what would you tell anyone else who, like you, you said, maybe there are Christians and non-Christians that will be listening to this podcast, but how do you get around that feeling? What would you, what would you tell that person, you know, that athlete or non-athlete? Mm-hmm. I would actually, I wouldn't even tell them to get around it. I would tell them to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to how you feel, because if you're chasing lowercase g gods, it will feel that way. It'll feel like you're reaching. It'll feel like it's it's just it. I'm almost there. Right. Like I'm almost to the big leagues. I'm almost to the revenue, the income that I want. My business has almost made it. That's how it always feels. The Christian does not feel that way. The Christian has that peace already. I've already made it. Right. There's no striving. Now we have different tasks and different works prepared for us and things like that. But yeah, I, I wouldn't tell somebody to to get around it necessarily. I'd say the first step is pay attention to it. You need to admit to yourself that something is missing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are tired of trying. Maybe you're tired of quarterbacking your life. Mm-hmm. That was my experience. That's, that's all I can speak from. That was certainly my experience. Right. And I think the signs for a lot of individuals who are chasing everything, but what they need to be paying attention to that stress factor that comes across and that constant feeling of being pulled down. I feel like it's right there. Like, I feel like if you, if, like you said, if you pay attention to what's really pulling on your heartstrings, that everything else is, is just outside distraction and noise and, mm-hmm. and things that will, matter far less when you're 75, 85 years old and when life, when you're at the end of your life that you can look back, nobody's going to say, I wish I worked more hours. You know, no one's going to say, I wish I had more money. The common theme that you hear is I wish I had more time with my family, my friends, my faith. So for, from that standpoint, Bob, from personal development and growth, and obviously you in your passions, 
what are some of the things you did to develop as a person and some of the steps that you took uh, that affected your personal and professional growth? So you mentioned earlier when you had all those things thrown at you. So is there a few things that you may have done, like maybe journal or get back to some sort, some sort of path that you strayed off of? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, as I look back on my life, what has shaped me to be the person that I am, the first thing that came to mind was just my time in athletics. I, I can't shake that. Right. And I was primarily a baseball player and a football player in high school. And I just, I, I love the world of sports. I loved competing. I loved the challenge of things. And there's a lot of good that came from that for sure. There's some bad, the mm -hmm. selfish ambition, the it, it's a very American dream type of mentality. It's first one in last one out. If I put in the effort, I will get the results that I want. Right. And so as time has gone on, I'm trying to pull the good from that and remove the bad. So the first I would say is just my time in athletics, hugely impactful on my life. Second thing I would say, uh, I do journal. It's not something that I do religiously. It's not like a dear diary, here's what happened today. But if something big, if something momentous happens, I find myself journaling maybe once a week, a couple of paragraphs, a page, hey, this is a prayer that was answered, or this is something I'm really struggling with right now. And then it's helpful for me to go back and helpful slash embarrassing because you read the things you wrote five years ago. It's like, I cannot believe I was worried about that. Right. I cannot believe I was hoping in that, whatever it is. So it's just nice to have it on paper because with, I mean, our minds, it's just, right. it's here in the moment and then it's gone. So I'd say journaling has been helpful, but for me personally, the, I'd say the most transformational thing has been literally just reading the Bible. Right. So since moving to Nashville, I have a mentor and friend here in town. He and I have read the Bible in a year every year since I've been here. So this year, 2023 will be the sixth year in a row that I read the Bible cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And that's been so transformational for me because I was calling myself a Christian again for 12 right. something years. And I didn't know what the book said. I knew mm -hmm. some things, you know, I could quote a John three sixteen with the best of them, but I didn't, I didn't know the story of God. I didn't know the number of places in my life that I was being disobedient. Right. I didn't know what I was really seeking going back to that. Hey, you feel like you're chasing something and can't quite get it. Right. So that has been the most transformational thing for me. And that's not to take away from prayer or worship or whatever, but I think sometimes people say, Oh, you know, I, I wish God would speak to me. Mm -hmm. I wish I knew God's will for my life. Right. And I mean, what they're saying is they're specific, like, am I supposed to move to this city? Am I supposed to say yes or no to this job? What should I name my first son? Like, I want God to speak to me. Right. And the reality is we have 31,000 verses in scripture of God's words. Mm -hmm. I'd say that's a good place to start. Like, yeah. what is God's will for your life? Let's start with a book. And that doesn't mean I'm an expert on the Bible. I would never claim to be that. I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to seminary, right. but it really matters to me because I, I've given my life to him. I believe that he is good. I believe that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. I want to obey him out right. of love. 
Just like if, I mean, I'm, I'm 31 years old, but if my father, earthly father wants me to do something, I mean, unless it uh, like objects with my morals or something, I'll say yes. Why? I love my father. I want to serve him. So reading the Bible, it's been a huge thing. I think it, it really grieves my heart. There are a lot of Christians today that I'll see, whether it's just in, you know, in, in public people that I know, or it could be on social media, things like that. We have a lot of biblically illiterate air quote Christians that are saying things that just are not even close, not even close to what God says. God says two plus two equals four and Christian Instagram is like, Oh, but what if, what if this, what if that's like, what, what are we talking about here? And so it's again, going back to what Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I have lost my life and I'm just, I'm just going to obey the book. There's a lot of things in there that are inconvenient initially. Like it's, it's much easier to use four letter words in order to connect with the world that makes you cool and approachable and stuff like that. But the Bible says, no, you will have to give an account for every idle word spoken. You're going to stand before Jesus one day, and we're going to talk about all those four letter words you used. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm done with that now. I mean, if, again, Christians also believe that those four letter words are forgiven. Jesus paid the price for those. Like I'm going to be as a believer, as long as I'm saying, yes, Jesus is my Lord. I accept his, right. I accept his forgiveness. I'm going to be uh, clean as a whistle. I'm white as snow, right. but it's stuff like that where, you know, it's, it's that little verse that's like tucked in there. And if I wasn't reading the Bible cover to cover, I never would have seen it. And I would have kept using those four letter words. And maybe a lot of worldly people would have thought, Oh, Bob's kind of cool. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm not quite as palatable. I am a little more like, Oh, okay. Bob used to drink with us. Bob used to do this, that, and the other. Now he doesn't, that's going to be a turnoff to some people. And that's the, that's the dilemma. It's like, am I willing, what do I actually believe about this book? Do I believe it's the word of God? Am I willing to follow it wholeheartedly? Mm -hmm. If I do, I'm probably going to lose some things. I'm going to lose friends. I might even lose family. That's dangerous. So yeah, getting back to your question, reading the Bible. The Bible is a highly, highly offensive book on purpose. Like people like to make Jesus out to be this everybody love everybody type of person. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, nobody loved better than Jesus. Nobody in history, nobody ever will. God is love. But the expression of that love is not what we portray it to be today. It's, you know, Jesus rebuked people all the time. He called one of his best friends, Peter, Satan, said, get behind me, Satan. You're concerned with the things of man, not the things of God. That's in there too. So it's the willingness to take the things that I like and also take the things that really challenge me. It's like, oh, okay. It's in there. I have to consider it. It's been a real challenge. I think you're exactly correct because a lot of times when we talk about personal development and growth, it's really about our physical and spiritual to me. And a lot of times everyone's so focused on 
the latter, they're, they're forgetting about their Christian growth and spending time. The Bible is very intimidating. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, 18 years old was my first true experience. I grew up, a, I was raised a Catholic and then was invited to an uncle of mine who passed away about 10 years ago or so. And it was a Baptist church in Connecticut. And I immediately, the first service connected with the message and felt that I was being spoken to directly and understood the Bible and the scriptures were explained. And to me, growing up Catholic, you just sat, you sat in church and there's nothing wrong with the, that faith, but it just didn't speak to me and I didn't understand it. And so when I went to this church and felt a connection, I feel like for me personally, it was easier to get into the Bible, not be intimidated and understand it because ultimately I feel like it's the roadmap that that's God's place right in front of us. And if we just use it and get into it more, then we tend to grow a lot quicker spiritually than instead of resisting. And so, which leads me to, I want to talk a little about leadership qualities and how you identify your purpose. And so Bob, if I'm asking you and I'm a client of yours, or, you know, we have, we're sitting down, I met you in a coffee shop and I would ask you, Hey Bob, how would you define leadership and what does purpose mean to you? What would you say to me? How would I define leadership? Yeah, I, I would say that leadership is doing the things that you believe to be right, even in the face of opposition or being unpopular and encouraging others to do the same. That usually will express itself in really ser serving. Like the best leaders are those who serve. One thing that we say at, at Brain Builders Group is usually people look at leadership and they envision themselves being on stage in the spotlight. That's not true. The leader is the spotlight operator, the one who's behind the light that's shining it on other people. So the leader, in a sense, disappears. Mm -hmm. Now, he or she might be out front and it's kind of the, you're on the podium, you're at the pulpit, whatever it is leading, but at least in their own mind, they disappear. It becomes so much about the people you're serving mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's the very famous C.S. Lewis quote on humility. What is humility? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So I'd say leadership, it starts with service. And then as far as your purpose, there's a couple ways for me to answer that. I would say uh, kind of global, like eternal purpose. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm -hmm. That's your purpose. Right. If you have somebody run around like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? I mean, a macro level, it's those two things to glorify God, to reflect his image and to enjoy him. God is awesome. God is love. So that's your purpose. It's not to write books or it's not to speak from stages or win world series championships. That's not your purpose. Right. Your capital P purpose to glorify God, to enjoy him. Now, on a micro level, like what is what is your calling, maybe? Again, we could use the word purpose, but that's kind of like a lowercase p to me. Right. 
I would say that is, there's probably going to be some sort of burden on your heart there. It's like where your, your burdens, your passions collide with your talents. Like for me specifically, I've just discovered this over these last couple of years. I really enjoy reading and writing. And I had no idea that I was a good writer. It was just in trying it. It started with journals, then it became short books, then it became long books, then it became published books. And I've had people tell me, man, I I really think you have a gift in this. You should kind of fan this into a flame. So I've started, I've started reading about writing and taking classes and stuff like that, because that's a, that's maybe a natural talent of mine. You take that talent and then combine it with the burden where for me, again, I've talked a lot about Jesus, a lot about the Bible. It, mm-hmm. it really angers me when people miss that. Right. When people don't, when people don't experience the, the love, the joy, the peace that is available to them right now right. in God, it, it bothers me. It also bothers me when people just blatantly disobey. Mm-hmm. Like Proverbs 8, Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We have, uh, the Bible gives us license to hate things. It is okay to hate evil things. And so as I'm just conforming my my mind to what this book says, I believe my purpose is to just illuminate what what God has revealed there. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not a pastor. I don't have a church of people that I'm following. It's just, it's just my people, my friends, people right. that follow me. You know, I have a full-time job, right? right? I'm not a, I'm not a full-time pastor. I, I work in sales and personal branding, but as far as my purpose on this earth, what is my calling? I think, well, I mean, it says in scripture that we have good works prepared for us. And so it's once you surrender your life, mm-hmm. all of a sudden doors start opening. You start have diff, uh, having different inklings, or maybe you no longer want to play in the big leagues, whatever it is, right. your appetites completely change because now you're walking in your calling. Mm-hmm. That's when life becomes easy. That's when, frankly, that's when the results show up. Right. Because you're not swimming upstream anymore. And so, Bob, when I listened to you on Todd's podcast, one of the things that really stood out to me was, was your, your leadership ability. And and how you transformed yourself and from, from what you were dealing with to who you are today. So for me, I've got that multiple people who helped me through and guided me through those times. So for you, when you were dealt everything, and I don't want to like jump over and, uh, and not really pay it's due to what you went through because it was a lot again, but was there one person that kind of helped you with your, you know, lead you through that to lead you through those moments? So, and because your faith came a little bit later, correct? And, and you know, really more when you started to get more deep into um, that walk. Yeah, I would say initially, like in that moment with the initial heartbreak, dreams that failed, things like that. I would say it was more of the books that I was reading versus a specific person. Now, since moving to Nashville, I mentioned that mentor that I've read the Bible with uh, year after year. I'd say he is probably the one that's been the biggest 
biggest voice in my life, maybe kind of like a shepherd where you have this, you know, this, this wounded lamb and the shepherd's kind of guiding in that sense. Right. But yeah, I've been fortunate to have a, a bunch of different influences in my life. And I will say just for the record, I fully understand that my quote difficulties might not even compare at all to right. somebody who's listening to this. Like I have lived such a blessed life right. to the point where, oh no, the relationship ended. Oh no, that like there, right. there's people undoubtedly that are listening to this that lost loved ones or have had a divorce or have you know a, a, a child that has gone astray and doesn't talk to them anymore. Like I, I just, like I said, I want to state that for the record. Like I know that my rock bottom is pretty high. <laughs> like I, I've, I've been blessed uh, immensely in my life, but pain is always relative. If it's the worst thing you've ever experienced, it's the worst thing you've ever experienced. Right. And so that summer of 17 was exactly that. But yeah, to answer your question, I'd say that that gentleman who's been a mentor of mine in Nashville, we talk regularly, we pray together regularly. And uh, his wife has had a big impact on my life as well. Yeah, I'd say those two. And and the reason why I ask that is because of the personal struggles that we all deal with. And you, and you just mentioned that they're all different and how they are and how relative they are to our current walk is far different to you know mine, yours, anyone else who's listening to this, you know, like who's lost a loved one, lost a job, going through a divorce, like you said, but it's how you deal with those things and identify them and not let them control who you are and who you stand for and affect your personal drive is really what I was getting to and, and leading to because, you know, I talked to many people in our facilities, friends of mine that, all this and how they deal with struggles. Some of them want to talk about it. Some of them want to bury it. And so uh, I was interested more so with how you, how you were able to identify and deal with those things and not let it change who you are. So thanks for sharing that message with, uh, with us. So Bob, I want to, I want to get into your book, our heart's desire, how our stories reveal the thing we want most in your book. You say, that we continue to tell the same narrative. What is that narrative? What led you to discover that? Yeah, so the book, Our Heart's Desire, basically what I did is I told the Bible through pop culture. Mm -hmm. I took all my favorite movies, novels, Broadway shows, stuff that I grew up enjoying, mm -hmm. stories, and I told the Bible through those narratives. Because what I believe is there is this master narrative that's written on the human heart. That's why we keep telling it over and over and over again. That narrative is there's a hero, a villain, and a love interest to be saved. We start in paradise. That paradise is quickly undone. And then we spend the next two hours trying to restore that paradise. Right. That, that's the Lion King. That's the Matrix. It's the Hunger Games. It's Braveheart. It goes on and on and on. And so, I, as a person who loves stories, and at the same time, I, I was studying story, like the art of building a world or creating a character. How, how, does, how does a storyteller do this? Meanwhile, I've said it a bunch, I was reading the Bible cover to cover. And so this is the first chapter of the book where I'm reading a science fiction novel and the guy gets the girl and you know everybody, everybody wins. Shocker. That's how the story would end. You end in paradise. And it was like everything clicked for me. 
where I was so moved by that moment in the story, hero gets the girl, yet I knew that it was coming. So why does it still work if I'm not surprised? Why do I believe that this ending is right, objectively right? And then I look at the book on my nightstand, the Bible. It's like, oh, got it. Again, I totally understand that somebody might be listening to this and you're kind of, you know, jury's still out on the Bible. Right. If, if what the Bible says is true, that is exactly how human history will unfold. There's a hero, a villain, a love interest to be saved. We start in paradise. That paradise is quickly undone. Now we are stuck in the middle as God, the author of that story is getting us to the return of that paradise. And so you might look at that and be like, oh, well, the biblical authors, like they just, you know, they had, they had read Aristotle or they had learned from Steven Spielberg and they wrote, you know, wrote the Bible that, I mean, the, the, the Bible was written over hundreds, thousands of years by dozens of different authors in different, different nations, different times. Right. It's this cohesive work that only claims to be history. And there's, there's poetry and stuff within it. There's some, you know, some metaphors, but it claimed to be history. And as I was continuing to remind myself of what that looked like, it was that story. So all of a sudden I look at the Bible and I see the Lion King. Mm -hmm. I look at the Bible and I see Matrix, uh, the Matrix. I see Neo and Morpheus and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that narrative, hero, villain, love interest, the reason why it keeps working is because I believe we as humans have a longing to live that story. Right. So, and Bob, also in your book, you say there are three things necessary to achieve catharsis. What is catharsis and what are those three steps to achieving it? Yeah. So catharsis is a, it's a storytelling term. And in, in, in layman's terms, we've all experienced catharsis. That is you go to your favorite movie. You're at the movie theater back in the day when we used to go to movie theaters. The movie ends, you're walking to your car. And like in those five minutes as you're walking out, it's just like, it's the warm and fuzzy. It's the, ah, like, oh, that was just the perfect ending. I'm, I knew it was coming. I hoped it was coming. And it was delivered. That was awesome. And so catharsis, that is the ultimate goal of a storyteller where the three components being first, there has to be a desire. There has to be a desire on the part of the hero, mm -hmm. of the protagonist of that story. And if the hero wants it, we want it too. Mm -hmm. So if I was looking at that science fiction novel in the first chapter of my book, this hero wanted the girl for 364 pages. And so you have the desire. Hero wants it. The reader wants it too. The second thing is a delivery. Because if the guy gets the girl on page two, it's a really short book. It's a really short movie. So there has to be a delay. And that delay, though painful, it actually serves the reader. It serves the hero. Like we get to learn more about that character. Even you know, when I say hero, that could be a female as well. Like if you think about Katniss Everdeen, Katniss right. is the hero, the main character of the Hunger Games. And so she has this desire in the delay of that. We learn a lot about her. We learn a lot about her character, her likes, her dislikes. And then ultimately we get to the delivery. So there's a desire. 
there's a delay, then right. ultimately you have a delivery, which is the end of the story. It's the crescendo. It's the big battle. It's the, you know, the hero finally wins the day. And then you get to experience that moment of, yes, this is right. This is, this is exactly what I wanted. And so the way I, the way I tell it in the book, the, the promises that God makes, the little whispers that he leaves us about heaven, like what will happen after our time on earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it literally says in scripture that the mind of man has not conceived what God has planned for us. So you, you could think of the, the, the grandest, the grandest vision you've ever seen streets of gold and all this stuff. It literally says the mind of man is not conceived. So we will have that moment of catharsis where we had a desire to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We have this delay because we're stuck here on earth. I mean, look outside your window. You know that this world is not as it should be. Everyone, everyone would agree with that. So we're stuck in that middle. We're stuck in the delay. That's where the longing comes from. That's why I say our heart's desire. Mm-hmm. Our heart's desire is not to see Neo destroy the Matrix or to see Katniss win the Hunger Games. That is a that's a small desire. That's a that's a shadow. That's a that's a type. Mm-hmm. What we really want is to live that story. We want to leave the delay and we want to have that delivery. We want to be with God. That's all it is. It is truly that simple. We're just stuck in the middle right now. That's why it seems confusing and painful. And we have, you know, tears to be wiped away. Right. So, and Bob, when, as a, as you go kind of go through your book and you talk about her redemption, his reward, is that what you're referring to? What, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So in, uh, in any sort of love story narrative, hero, villain, love interest, it usually ends in a wedding. It's kind of Cinderella-esque in that regard. Like you, you totally expect that to happen, right? Even if they're high school sweethearts, like the guy's going to get the girl. But it usually ends in a wedding and you get two things in that wedding. You get the redemption of the bride mm-hmm. and then the reward for the groom. And when I say redemption of the bride, if we look back into the story, usually what has happened at some point is she has rejected him. He's made his love known to her and she says, no way, right. not having it. Now it might be his fault. He might've put a, his foot in his mouth or, you know, mess things up, or it's just, there's some sort of lie that she's believing, right? It's the, uh, the beautiful girl marries the nerd type thing, right? The nerd approaches in the early pages of the book and she's like, get out, like get out of town, right? You are, you are not of the caliber of the type of man that I deserve. And then he does heroic things over and over and over again. And the jock that she's dating ends up being, you know, a real tool Mm -hmm. and she finally sees it. And then the nerd has been there the whole time and his love is genuine. His love is real. So that bride is redeemed in that all the the errors of the past have been wiped away and then ultimately the the groom he gets this this prize he gets the bride who through the process of being redeemed has become more beautiful than ever and it's kind of this beautiful parallel where in the bible there's a, a ton of connections with weddings and us being joined us as as christians as the church being joined with our groom that is Christ. So yeah, we see it in stories a lot. And again, if 
what the Bible says is true, that was, that's what will happen with us. So Bob, I, want, I want to shift over because I'm curious of your thoughts on two areas. And one of them being is, you know, we, we talk about, you know, our God is a loving God and but how, and how can bad things happen? How does he let people think he lets things happen? Uh, what's your, what would you say to that? And, and also you touched on a little bit, but if God is in control of everything, then do we actually have free will in our lives? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, how many hours do we have for me to answer that? <laughs> well, uh, we, yeah, we're, it, we're going to bring you back for another segment, but we're gonna, yeah, we're no, I mean, that's a, that's a tough, tough question. Christians ask it. Non-believers ask it. If God is so good, why do bad things happen? Or if God is so powerful, so sovereign, do I really have a choice? And so as far as the bad things, just to kind of lay out the argument that we're having, we are making a lot of assumptions here. Like when we say bad, what we really mean is painful. Why does God let painful things happen? Right. And I know that you're in the world of fitness. I draw a parallel to our, to our coaches, to our strength and conditioning coaches. I literally bring it back to Todd Durkin. I literally paid Todd to hurt me. Said, Todd, here's my monthly membership. I want you to hurt me on purpose in the right places at the right times, make it hurt so that I can grow. And so kind of bringing it back to this, why does God let bad things, which really we're saying, why does God let painful things happen? Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. A lot of people will use that because that's kind of like a bumper sticker, throw pillow quote. It's not quite John 3, 16, but like you hear it a lot. Romans 8, 28. Right. And a lot of people will use that when the girl dumps you or when you get fired or something. Oh, don't worry. God's going to use this for your good. And what they're saying is you'll get you'll get a more attractive woman or you'll get a better job or something. That's not what that says. Right. Romans eight twenty nine, the next verse tells us exactly what this means. So God causes all things to work together for our good dot, dot, dot. So that we might be conformed to the character of Christ, mm -hmm. the firstborn of many brethren. We got to remember, I mean, by all historical accounts, the guy that wrote that letter, Romans, the apostle Paul, he had his head cut off. Mm. So the same man who said all things work together for the good of those who love God was decapitated. So did that, did that belief, did it run out of steam? Right. Was that promise not true for the guy who actually wrote it? Like, no, God caused everything in Paul's life to work together for his good, that he would be changed, that his character would change to the character of Christ. So it's not about the girl. It's not about the promotion. So bringing it back to why does God let painful things happen? It might be to make you more like him right. for the same reason that I paid Todd Durkin to hurt me. Your father, your heavenly father who loves you might be putting challenges in your life. Not because he hates you. Mm -hmm. It's the exact opposite It's because he loves you just mm -hmm. like Todd loves me. He's like, Bob, I, I, I want this for you. Right. I want you to be big and strong. I want you to accomplish things. I, I want good for you. So that's the problem of pain. As far as the 
free will conversation. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I think sometimes we can get so lofty and theological and stuff like that. Like, Oh, you know, let's, let's, what did the early church fathers say and stuff like that? I, I try to keep it simple. I go back to stories. And so this paradigm of, of looking at the world that we live in as a story as written and performed by God has really helped me to understand, uh, to, to come to grips with that free will God's sovereignty dilemma, because every, every author is in complete control of his or her story. It's not difficult at all where, when, you know, you have, I think it was Suzanne Collins that wrote the hunger games. So when Suzanne sat down, it was not difficult for her to determine that Katniss was going to volunteer as tribute or, you know, that she was going to win the hunger games or whatever micro details on page a hundred. She, she, it was in complete control. There's no stress. And there's a lot of verses in scripture that talk about God at, in the same light. Like in Isaiah chapter 46, verses nine and 10, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. God is just like Suzanne Collins, just on a universal level. It's not difficult for him to determine what's going to happen in 2024. Right. He's already determined it. So as far as the free will stuff, like I'm sitting here, you know, we're on zoom. I'm looking at you're, you're wearing a, a blue shirt, mm-hmm. right? Let me ask you when God spoke to you audibly this morning, telling you to wear that shirt, what did it sound like? Like, I'm being facetious. That didn't happen. Right. Of course. Like that, that was your choice. Like God did not put the proverbial gun to your head. And so thou shalt wear the blue t-shirt today. Right. You chose to do that. 100%. It was you. And yet God as Suzanne Collins had written that. So it can be both. Like we are, we are living within the story. That blue shirt you just said is 100% your choice. Right. And yet it didn't surprise God. Right. He ordained it. So yeah, we, we are completely responsible for all of our decisions. We have the ability to make decisions. Even still, we have an author of the story. It's a, I mean, it, it truly is a paradox. Like did Katniss choose to volunteer as tribute or did Suzanne Collins tell her that she had to? Right. So Bob, yes. <laughs> what would you say, Bob, for like, do you have a, during those times or, when anyone may be kind of reflecting what's do you have a specific verse you go to or you could point to someone to say hey this is what i this is my go-to verse uh, for those moments and i suggest starting here for example yeah as far as a go-to verse for me i mean there's a bunch but the first one that came to mind was psalm 139 verse 16 and david is is writing that psalm and he's speaking to God. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God, even before I was born, you knew my entire life. And so for me, that is a really comforting thing. If somebody's like just getting started, it's kind of like a two-part question. Right. I always encourage somebody to start with the, the book of John, the gospel of John. It's going to be like 20 or something. Uh, 20 or so chapters, Mm -hmm. but John, I was actually just reading it this morning, like my Bible in a year, I think I read John chapter 20 today. 
And John writes, I have written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the son of God. That was his entire purpose. So as I know, we're kind of coming up on time here, but the, what, what I believe we need, we need to make two decisions. Mm -hmm. Number one, we need to make a decision on the Bible. Right. Is this just a collection of stuff that humans wrote that we should kind of consider, but like, not really, or is it the word of God? Second thing, what do we do about Jesus? He was not just a good teacher. They killed him because he claimed to be the son of God. So we need to make the decision. Is the Bible what it says it is? Is Jesus who he said he is? And if your answer is no and no, great. But you've made you've made that decision. Right. And yeah, it's it, there is no middle ground. Jesus leaves no no room for that. It's either a yes or a no. So yeah, as, as we part here, I would just encourage somebody, if, if you're really interested in learning more about God and, and connecting with him, I'd say the gospel of John. And we'll put that, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. So as people get to the, that point of the show and, and where to contact you and things like that, we'll put all that in there. So uh, Bob, quick rapid fire um, questions. If you have a couple minutes from a standpoint of social media and your book, where can they find you? How can they find your book? if they want to reach out to you and, and get your book and then, or have you speak to them. Definitely. Yeah. So the best place for the book is Amazon where, where all books are sold. <laughs> you can also go to my website, bobwheatley.com, but on social media, it's just at Bob Wheatley. I'd love to love to connect with you. Okay. And uh, two things quickly, Bob. So I like to ask our guests uh, some fun facts about themselves, uh, talent or something they have that nobody, your friends may not know, family may not know that you feel kind of comfortable in sharing with us today? Uh, like fun, fun facts or interesting. Yeah. Things. Interesting facts about yourself or a talent you may have. You can juggle with 18 watermelons or something like that. Or something. Yeah. Can't, can't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So th- I guess this, this is definitely not a talent, just kind of a fun fact. When I was in eighth grade, I had my hand impaled by a pencil. I was leaning back in my chair fell out of that chair as I was holding a pencil, went straight through my hand. And I think, I mean, there's dozens of bones in your hand. It didn't hit one. I didn't, I didn't even miss a baseball game. Wow. Went to the hospital. They pulled it out. There's, there's no blood or anything. It was like a clean, it was like a cork. Like there's a pencil sticking out of one hand, like both sides of my hand. I still have, still have the mark, but yeah, like it was definitely not either. talent, but certainly a, a fun trivia fact about yeah, me. Is, yeah. That is an interesting fact for sure. Especially, uh, not missing a game. So, well, Bob, you're on the Wine podcast. What does that phrase mean to you? Uh, what would you say to that person out there who may be asking themselves that question right now? Yeah, I'm going to bring it back to my work. I, I, I speak with people in personal branding almost every day, speakers, authors, podcasters. And when I talk to the person who's just getting started, I hear something around the world of imposter syndrome a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, who am I to do this? I don't have the PhD. Nobody will listen to me. All, all these lies. Right. And so when I hear, why not me? That's almost the message that I would want to share with them. Like, hey, th- this is what you need to be thinking. Right. Why, why not you? Everybody that you look up to, everybody that you dream of being, they started in your spot too. It was in the action. It was in choosing to do it. It was in choosing to be uncomfortable that they became who they are. So yeah, why not me? 
maybe I am the person to do this. Maybe I can step into my calling and change the world in whatever ways that looks like. So yeah, that when I hear why not me, that's where I go. Appreciate that. And that's really, like I said earlier, the message behind it is to hopefully uh, motivate, inspire, and give somebody a lift, whether what phase they're in their life, whether it's, you know, they're early in their career or in their later in their career, and they're looking for some, you know, questions to their doubt they may be having about themselves. So it's never too late to grow as an individual professionally with your faith. And as a, of course, as a person. So I appreciate that. Uh, Bob, you've been phenomenal as expected, and I appreciate your time. And I definitely would love to have you back on at some point so we can talk more and really get dig a little bit deeper on. I'm sure we can go, like I said, those questions go <laughs> far deeper than we had some time for. But I appreciate you taking a stab at it with the time we did have, and I've enjoyed having you. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Bob. Have a good day. the show today with Bob Wheatley, I think it really made us stop and think about ourselves and when we are characterizing, prioritizing what matters most to us. I want to thank Bob again for joining us and for sharing his message, his thoughts. If you're liking the show, please go check out our book, Why Not Me, on Amazon. Proceeds help support the show, and I really do appreciate it. Please give us a five-star rating, a like, and share this episode with a friend. Until next time, when in doubt, ask yourself, why not me? Why not now? Have a great day.